We have a special guest speaker this morning, um, Todd Hunter. Uh, Todd is the bishop uh, for us in C4SO, um, and he is much more than that in our community. Uh, we have known Todd for a very long time. Uh, he is a leader of leaders. He's a pastor to pastors in our community, for Chris especially, and for us as a staff. Um, but he was also uh, president of uh, the Vineyard uh, before that. And if you know our story long enough, uh, we were planted as a Vineyard Church 20 years ago. Um, and so his influence on us and his guidance has shaped us in so many ways over the years, and we're very excited to hear from you this morning. Um, thank you so much for driving from Nashville to be here. Um, yeah. God bless you. Y'all, please welcome Todd. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. Hi. <laughs> uh, as Brad said, driving over from actually Franklin yesterday, it was, everything was fine, but you know, when you get near the city, they had like three lanes of 75 shut down yesterday, and then you get in further into the city, and I could just feel the angst building, you know, the stress, the anxiety. And then this morning, I had a very short drive from my hotel downtown to here, and as I was driving through the city this morning, it felt so peaceful, and like I could feel joy even, like what happened overnight? Oh, the Braves! The Braves are in the World Series. Way to go, Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, some of you know I'm from Southern California. Don't boo. If you, if you know Southern California, you know that typically you grow up in a family that either loves the Dodgers and therefore hates the Angels, California Angels, or your family loves the California Angels and hates the Dodgers. You'll be pleased to know, so we can fellowship this morning, that I grew up in a family that hated the Dodgers and loved the Angels. So we're all, we're all good. Actually, I'm over it. I don't hate anybody anymore, but... All right, so this morning we're going to finish up the series you all have been doing entitled Until Christ is Formed in You. And this morning our theme is an, uh, uh, formation in community. So we'll read our scripture together if we'll put it up here. The, our, um, uh, here we go. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression... You who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted, but bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride." For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at the harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So picking up on this idea of formation in community, I want to begin with a quote from my friend and mentor, Dallas Willard. 
Dallas was a philosopher, as you know, and a Christian teacher, and he just had this magical way of taking enormous ideas and boiling them down into thoughts that we can grasp. So Dallas wrote, the aim of God in history, now just think about what a big claim is going to follow here. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Now, I know this is a Sunday morning and not a, you know, a, a seminary, so I want to just say that again, and I want you to hear this kind of imaginatively. I want you to hear it kind of evocatively. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of persons, loving persons, with himself, that is God himself, included in that community as its prime sustainer, can you feel that? Sustaining community and its most glorious inhabitant. So we can say then that the goal of Christian spirituality is what you've all been studying, that Christ would be formed in us. And perhaps in the series, of course, I haven't been with you, maybe the accent has been Christ being formed in us individually, which is completely fine. I'll say more about that in a moment. But this morning, the accent is on how Christ is formed in us as a community who are called together as Trinity and shaped by the Spirit as Trinity. And so thus we can say the community is fundamental. Nothing exists not sky or earth or the chair you're sitting in or the mask you're wearing or the concrete your feet are on or the earth below it. Nothing is that didn't come from community. What is that community I'm referring to? The Trinity. Fundamental to everything, what lies behind all of space and time is a community of beings, Father, Son, and Spirit, who from that community, from that, that relational interaction, they spoke, let there be light. And so everything that exists today finds its core grounding or being in community. Thus, in Christian spirituality, we can't ignore community any more than we could ignore gravity. Now, the word isn't used in our text this morning, but the biblical vision, the New Testament vision for community comes from this word koinonia. You've probably heard it. It just means a fellowship of belonging. And the vision is that it's a belonging of servants who are both giving and receiving good as a way of life. It's just meant to picture a group of people who are available to each other in love. So now picture yourself in this room, picture yourself, you know, with the nine o'clock service in here as well. Just picture yourself as Trinity, available to each other in love. Open, willing, sharing. That's the biblical vision of goodness in community. And so I just want to say this morning that podcasts, and live streaming and social media and all those things, they're wonderful. Honestly, I'm not down on them. I listened to podcasts coming here yesterday for a couple of hours. They're great. But they cannot fulfill the vision I just cast for you. They can't pass your faith on to your children. 
Now, I can't see who's old enough in this room to have raised teenagers yet, but obviously I have. And my oldest son, Jonathan, who I dearly love, we have a great relationship, but he was a classic PK, rebellious, doing everything wrong a teenager could do wrong. And there was no greater gift that anybody could have given me, because if you understand just the dynamic of a father and his children, but if you have any understanding of a of a, like a national Christian leader and his teenage son, I knew that there were things that I could not give him that he was not gonna take or receive from me. The greatest gift anybody could have given me was somebody in that community to have taken my son and helped pass the faith on to him. Are you feeling me here? That's the, that's the richness of good human Christian community. I mean, a podcast can't lend you cranberry juice. This past winter, I think you guys probably had this storm that we had in the Nashville area where we got some ice and then the next day got snow. Did you guys get that? So we had a couple of inches of ice and then I forget, two or three inches of snow on top of it. So we, like, you couldn't get anywhere. We couldn't even get out of our neighborhood. And in the middle of that, my wife started feeling, she never had one before, but she started feeling a urinary tract infection. I mean, we didn't know what it was when she started feeling it. But over like 24 hours during this storm, the pain got really acute. And you know what we do these days. She's Googling around and trying to figure out what to do because we can't even get out of our house. And she reads somewhere that cranberry juice, you know, real organic, you know, good, not, not cranberry juice cocktail, but you know, cranberry juice can really be helpful. So I go, great, and I can't get out of the neighborhood, so I start going to my neighbors. And there's this really lovely young Korean family next to us on one side, and I go over and say, no, we don't have any cranberry juice. But she had this tea, this, she said, this is magic tea from Korea. I don't, it was ginger or something tea that she says fixes everything. So I take it home, and my wife's half Japanese, so she's down with it, she'll try it. And so she drinks the tea and it's a little better, but I, so I start going to my neighbors looking for cranberry juice and nobody has any. And about 20 minutes later, there's a knock on the door and my neighbor across the street is there with this you know, container of organic cranberry juice. I said, where'd you get it? He said, well, we went to the store and got it. And I knew he didn't because you couldn't get out of our neighborhood. And he had gone around to our neighbors and he knew somebody had a, had a bar in his house and had cranberry juice there for drinks. Well, podcasts just can't do that for you. And this is why community is never just a religious consumer thing where we say, I think I need a little community, so I'll go get it. Like we feel this need in our life, like a consumer sort of need. It just doesn't work that way. Community is not a church program that churches are trying to legalistically impose on busy, over-debted, over-calendared people. Rather, community is meant to be this group of people who, you know, they kind of live in the same place, same area like you guys do. They have personal relationships. There's characteristics that they hold in common. But it is also a feeling, and that's okay, that wonderful feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes and interests and goals. Those things are great. It's actually a, a, one of the great gifts of God of community. So while that feeling is important, and while community does require a decision that we become a part of that community, it's not, as I say, a consumer choice. It doesn't come from, well, I just want more of community in my life. 
Rather, exactly as you guys have been studying in Galatians, community is meant to be a basis for Christian spiritual formation. So that in this community, we're forming ourselves to fit into this communal story that began with the Trinity and will end with the fulfillment of all the purposes of the Trinity. And in that story, together as a community, we're trying to figure out what does it mean to be human in the image of God? Now we know that spiritual formation is intensely and richly and rightly personal, right? Just think of Jesus's conversations with people like Nicodemus, it was deeply personal. Jesus meeting Nicodemus where he was, the woman at the well, Zacchaeus up the tree, Peter saying, Lord, I'll never deny you. Those things are all intentionally, rightly personal, but it's never, Christian spirituality is never meant though to be a solo act. The vision of the New Testament and of this text is that we need each other and that spiritual formation cannot happen without community. This is why the New Testament is full of this Greek term, alelon, and it just means one another. But it's all throughout the New Testament to love one another, to serve one another, to care for one another. It's everywhere. Even the gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant to work in a community that helps each other so that if you have somebody maybe stuck in some aspect of their spiritual formation, wouldn't it be great if one of their friends in a small group or however they're in a community, wouldn't it be great if somebody had a word of wisdom that could unlock that place where they're stuck? So even the gifts of the Spirit are meant to be deeply and richly communal. So then our text this morning, we have a couple of prime examples of healthy community that I just want to draw out. We can't cover the whole text, but I want to draw out a couple of them. The first one in verse 1, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, what Paul's getting at here is that, the, you know, the normal human reaction to someone who does something wrong is to judge them. Sometimes the community will punish them. Sometimes the community will banish them. Other times we might feel a bit of a, like a smug satisfaction in us that, well, that person got knocked off her high horse or his high horse, right? And Paul's saying, no, none of that. The vision for Christian community is that we would forgivingly restore, gently as the text says. That means in a spirit of humility, of showing empathy and sympathy for guilt and shame. I mean, this is not rocket science. This is as simple as the golden rule. Think of something that you've done wrong recently, and you knew it, and maybe even it produced in you feelings of guilt and shame. All you have to do is think, how would you want to be treated in that situation? What do you hope people will have done to you? Do you hope that they would have judged you harshly and banished you from their life? Or do you hope that they would somehow have sympathy and empathy for the guilt and shame you already feel and gently restore you back to some sort of spiritual health, whatever the issue is? The second thing this text points out to us is the limits of our ability to judge accurately. Even if we have kind of a spontaneous, you know, knee-jerk reaction to judge, we must always stop ourselves through the words of Jesus, who said, how can you, how do you think, given that you have this 
plank in your eye. That's the Greek term, this plank of wood in your eye. How can you think that having a plank in, the, uh, in your eye that you can see the moral speck of sawdust in someone else's? All Jesus is simply saying is we don't have the capacity actually to judge others. We don't know enough. We don't know history, story, context, motivation, um, what the person was reacting to. We just don't know enough to banish someone or judge them in that way. Rather, the vision here of Christian community is I like the idea of kintsugi. Do any of you know what kintsugi is? It's, it's a form of Japanese art. I think we've got a picture here for you. Where if a plate or a bowl, this is a bowl, could be a candlestick like here, when it's broken, and, and you know, like if it's, a, if it's a cherished bowl or something and it's broken, you know the heartache, right? Like, I, I know, I remember when I was a kid, I broke one of my best friend's grandmother's Hummel figures. I don't know if you know what a Hummel figure is, but evidently it's a big deal. And oh my God, you just want to, you wanted yourself to die. So when something valuable like that is broken, in this Japanese form of kintsugi, they put it back together by making gold, that's real gold. They somehow make it into a paste that's like a glue and they put the thing back together such that it be, that which was a common vessel and broken gets put back together and it literally becomes a piece of art and it's more valuable than it was just merely a bowl for rice. That's Paul's vision. Are you feeling me here? That when someone around you is broken, they've done something dumb. They've they've done something sinful. They've hurt you or hurt somebody. And, and the idea here is that we take that brokenness individually and communal and we restore it gently, lovingly, artistically, such that what comes out of it is actually more valuable, more beautiful than it was before. Secondly, Paul says, in Christian community, we learn to carry each other's burdens. And this is just meant to help us see that every single one of us have burdens and that we're not meant to carry them alone. I mean, I have certain, certain burdens in my life. Everybody has burdens in their life. Um, and, and Paul is visioning groups of people who help carry them. It's, it's a very simple idea here. It's if you saw somebody carrying something heavy, isn't it natural just to say, can I help you? Or, you know, uh, young people seeing old people like me struggling with some bit of technology, well, you know, can't I help you here? That's all that Paul is saying here. And he's, so he's trying to get us out of a kind of a stoic, or sorry, a heroic stoicism. And if you're a guy, especially you may feel this, although women have it too, this sort of sense that I can never show vulnerability, I can never show that I need something, and so we just live in this sort of stoicism. But what Paul's picturing here is this rich interactivity where people have burdens, they don't hide them because we're carrying each other's burdens. So when Peter says something like, cast all your anxieties upon God because he cares for you, the New Testament vision of how that happens is that a prime way that God cares for us is caring for us through each other. Our hands laid on somebody in loving prayer. Our hands lifting a burden. Our feet walking across the street to help somebody. This is the vision. And then Paul says, bear with one another. 
as you bear with one another, you'll be fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, that's a really big and important phrase because the law of Christ um, symbolizes and is a, uh, the exact reproduction of what Torah or Old Testament law was meant to be. So the law of Christ, that phrase really means it's a love that fulfills the whole law because love was meant to be the essence of the law. This is why in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to a group of people, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And Paul explains to us what that means, how we bear one another in the love, in the uh, law of Christ, the law of love. You know, this famous passage where Paul says, love's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs when someone's failed. It always predicts, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. Or as he says in Romans, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love of neighbor, love of enemy, love of everybody. This is the fulfillment of law, and it's the basis of and that which facilitates Christian community. But then you remember in our text, Paul says, but each one should carry his own load. So what's going on here? You know, one sentence he says, each of you carry each other's loads, bear each other's burdens. And now here he says, carry your own load. Well, what's going on here is Paul is simply saying something like, each of you need to take responsibility for your own life, for doing your very best that you can with your own life. Well, why? Because community is interdependence. And interdependence requires a healthy independence. So what Paul's saying here is something like, you need to be strong and trustworthy so that you can bring into this room something to contribute to the health of this community. And embracing your life together as it comes and taking responsibility for it. So here's the vision. Think of Psalm 139. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. He made you specific, discreet, unique. Your own history, your own temperament, your own family of religion, uh, sorry, family of origin, your own gift mix. Just think of your, the most unique you you can hold in your heart and mind right now. That is completely good, completely appropriate. And what Paul's saying here is nurture that. Nurture that Psalm 139 self that's in you, becoming the best you in Christ, so that then when you come together, there's an interdependence that works because the independent, the, 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 the single person, is becoming all that they can be in Christ. This is why Paul says in Galatians 5, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But don't use your freedom to indulge your selfish nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For again, that fulfills the law. So Paul's vision here is one of Christian individuals within a community who are being guided by the freedom of the Spirit and that being expressed in mutual love and a mutual commitment to growth. And I want to say, in this day and age in which we live of sort of expressive individualism as the end-all and the be-all, I want to say that without the kind of Christian community that I've been describing, we are actually locked into little prisons that we call independence or freedom. 
merely trying to express who you are will become a prison unless there is some sort of ends to which that means is pointed. A Godward end that says, God created me as I am, and then a communal end in which I'm meant to bring that goodness to bear for the sake of others. So that community and spiritual formation, they have this reciprocal and synergistic relationship one another. So my own pursuit of my spiritual transformation into Christ's likeness is meant to be expressed in community so that we then together fulfill the purposes of God. Now there's lots of refreshing benefits that we could describe here about community. But what I want you to hear this morning is that underneath everything about community is that it's meant to give us coherence. It's meant to give us an alignment with the deepest realities about nature. And we're just back to where I started. The deepest nature of reality is not the thousand fractures that we feel every day. Both from the, the benign fractures of so many different categories of music. You know, when I was a kid and you opened up Rolling Stone, I think you found three charts. I think, I, I don't remember for sure, but I think rock, pop, and jazz and blues maybe or something. Well, you open Rolling Stone today and you find, I don't even know now, 15 or 20 different fractures of music. And we have political fractures. And we have branding fractures about shoes and t-shirts. And these all identify ourselves. And what community is supposed to do is bring back to us a sense of coherence. It's meant to be like a fish being put back into water. I mean, just think of the individuals you know today who live like a fish out of water. Just flopping around on the deck of life, completely disoriented. I can't breathe. Completely feeling what, I don't know if fishes have feelings or not, but just go with me here. You know, feeling the exact opposite of relaxed. Think of the fear a fish must feel. Flopping around on the deck of a boat. Sorry if you fish, I'm not down on you. I'm just trying to get into fish here. Right? Think of the disorientation a fish would feel. And Paul knows that when Christians are pulled out of community, the same sort of thing happens. And we're meant to experience God through experiencing each other in these communities that work for each other's good. Well, I want to close by trying to answer the obvious question. I mean, everything I've said has to raise the question, well, well come on, Hunter, if community's so good, then you tell me why it so often sucks. Oops, can you say that in church? Uh, you know, why is it such hard work? Why is community often so hurtful? Some of you are here in church this morning sort of barely, or maybe in the last six months or year or so, you've, sort of, you've had to barely drag yourself back to church because church community has actually been a place of pain for you. So if everything we've said is right, that community is supposed to be so rich, why is it so often counter to those intentions? And I can just give you a couple of common reasons. I guess you really can't have a, a message on community without quoting Bonhoeffer. It wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't be a, an adequate message. Bonhoeffer's work is just legendary for his work on community. In his book, In Life Together, Bonhoeffer gives us one of the most common reasons why community is difficult. He says, the person who loves their dream of community 
And he's getting at here our kind of our idealisms. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who simply loves those around them will create community. So if you say to me, Todd, how do we just increase and, and keep moving forward the community you've been experiencing here for 18 or 20 years? The answer is really simple. Just feel the human bodies around you and make yourself present to them in love. That's all you have to do. So what's love? Will their good. Find the good and do what you can, given your gifts, your temperament, your personality, your station in life, and bring good to bear to as many people as you can around them, or, or as the text says, as you, ha as you have opportunity to do so. So then this really gets, you know, that thing that Bonhoeffer's saying, my idealisms of community versus the, the simple things that create community of loving one another, that gets to these great questions that um, James K. Smith has been asking in some of his work recently. It gives us the questions of what do you want? What do you love? Because you are what you love, and you may not love what you think you do. And so you just need to sit with that this morning. I need to sit with it. We need to sit with it over a period of time. That what we actually love, not what we think we love, not what we think we ought to love, what we actually love is what we bring into a community and sorting that out so that what we love is others, both neighbor and enemy, is a really big deal. The second thing I can say quickly is that communities go wrong because communities become what's known as bounded sets. And a bounded set just means, think of a circle, a big, thick circle that's, that has one function to, to, show, to show who's in and who's out. And when communities do that to each other, when the function of community is, is to do that sort of judging and uh, that sort of discriminating, that sort of uh, saying who's in and who's out, community breaks down really fast. But there's another way of being together. This is called social set theory, if you want to look at it later. Uh, there's another way of being together, and that's called center set. And center set still has a boundary, but the focus is on the center, what's in the center. Let's say the Trinitarian God. So if, if in um, bounded set, the question is, are you in or are you out? In centered set, the question is, in what direction are you heading? If, you're, if we're a community heading together in Christ, that means we can walk together in whatever brokenness you brought into this room. Sexual, mental health, economic, any, whatever brokenness you have. The question isn't, does that brokenness make you in or out of the community? That, that's sort of a pharisaical way of thinking about religion. What we want to do is put Christ at the center of this smaller barrier and ask the question, are you heading with Christ with us, towards Christ with us. If you are, we can walk together. As I was done preparing for this, I found a prayer rising in my heart, and so I pray it with us. Lord, fill us with humble, selfless love. Make us 
creators of community. And sustain us and build us up, we pray in that community. And then send us as that community into the world as servants in love and power.